Does your dog seem like he's on doggy downers? Does your cat act less than catty? Does your horse keep saying, of course, just to agree with you instead of saying what he really wants? If so, you've come to the right place. Animal Calls takes your calls, helps you understand your pets, and helps them thrive. And now, here's our ringmaster of the animal crackers world, UW-certified animal behaviorist, Carpathia Kingsley. Welcome to Animal Calls. I'm your host, Carpathia Kingsley, taking a break from my own personal zoo in the glorious Pacific Northwest to answer your pet, livestock, and wildlife-related behavior questions. I am a certified animal behaviorist out of the Grand University of Washington, so don't be afraid to call. Unlike some of your naughty pets, I don't bite. So how is everybody doing today? It's so nice out here in the Pacific Northwest. It is cold and overcast and misty and gloomy. And notice I said nice because, uh, you know, I like that kind of thing. So um, letting you know that our call-in numbers are 425-373-5527. Or you can call toll-free at 888-298-5569. And that's uh, the numbers if you want to call into the station. You can you can join us and talk and bring on your questions. I also do have some people who have written in some questions for the week. So I could go ahead and maybe start on a couple of those and hopefully wait for some phone calls. One person who's a very sweet, 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 sweet gentleman had asked me, why does my cat uh, like to go up to his water bowl and stick his little paws in there and then lick the water off of his feet, off of his little hands, instead of just sticking his face in a water bowl like most other animals, like dogs and, and whatnot, will tend to do? So he was curious as to why a cat might do that. Why do cats do that? Why do they like to stick their little hands in the water and then and then lick the uh, water off of their paws? So what I'm going to point out is is a couple things that should be rather physiologically obvious, and that is that little kitty cats have these cute tiny little faces, and they have very 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 sensitive little. Um, whiskers on those little faces. And cats, more than pretty much anything I can think of, really have this this sense of orienting themselves and and uh, picking up on all these things with these little antennas, you know, that they have sticking out of the sides of their face that are their little whiskers. And they can be very, very hypersensitive. So putting their little faces into the water to drink can be kind of upsetting for them to do that. That's why they tend to like to lick things like dripping water from faucets and sticking their paws in the water and then licking their paws. That way they don't have to get their cute little faces and precious little teeny kitty cat noses wet and upset their little whiskers while doing so. They can just enjoy drinking their water that way. So that that was a cute, cute kind of a thing to, to think about. Um, cats are precious. I know I get a lot of uh, flack sometimes for 
acting like I'm not like the biggest cat fan or something, when in reality, I just like to joke about them. I, I think cats are amazing. I, I grew up with cats and having a pet cat named Pooter that uh, was in my room most of the time and spent most of his time with me. And I would sit down and share my dinner with Pooter and really enjoyed his company as I have the pet cats I've had all my life. Just because I don't have one now doesn't mean I'm not a feline friend. So there's that. And uh, last week we spoke a lot about cats because it was Friday the 13th and I thought that was kind of appropriate. So if you have cat questions, feel free to call in. I, In addition to having certification in animal behavior, I also have secondary certification specifically in feline behavior, which is its own thing, really. Cats uh, did not take well to domestication they tend to be more free-thinking and free-spirited and wild, really. They're debatably domesticated, um, like I had mentioned last week, where what we qualify as being domesticated usually is linked to watching the genes in an animal change, like we saw with fox in experiments that were done in Russia with foxes that their coat colors and all this would change when we were artificially selecting them for friendliness and um, trying to breed a line of fox that would be friendly to see if they could be domesticated. And honestly, I think they were an amazing candidate for domestication. And I wouldn't mind seeing little pet foxes someday of everyone enjoying having fox. Why couldn't we have done that? Why couldn't we do that and have pet fox? So there's that. We can have our feline friends. We can have little fox pets. And I know some people can be a little, a little on the fence about domesticating wild animals and keeping wild animals or what we perceive as a wild animal as a pet. But when you really think about it genetically, cats are wild animals. <laughs> so keeping them as pets uh, is more of a challenge. And kudos to you for having somewhat of an exotic animal in your home when you keep a pet cat. And keeping in mind that all of the animals that we have as pets were domesticated with the intent to keep them uh, as pets in some capacity or livestock to eat or to utilize in any manner that we saw fit. And that was something that we were doing for quite a few years and still do. So why not why not fox? <laughs> why not fox? Why not mink? Instead of having them as fur coats, why don't we have them as furry companions? So I would like to remind listeners again that our call-in line is 425-373-5527 and also it is 888-298-5569. And want you to feel free to call in. I also this week had received a question from someone who wrote in, and I love this one. Uh, livestock is is I'm very fond of. I have a farm, so I have goats. I have a horse who's the greatest horse in the whole wide world, and I I say that um, meaning it. It's my professional opinion. I have dogs, I have a parrot, I have finches, I have geese, I have chickens. I've you know been there, done that, and uh, my, put my money where my mouth is 
in regards to animal behavior, not only studying it, but I, I live the life as well. So I see all the interesting nuances of that on a day-to-day basis. So a person had asked me, I was hoping that they would call in, but I think they're in college and I don't know if they're in session right now, if they have classes going on, but she was wondering, and I thought this was hilarious, why her little buck goat, and that's for people who don't know uh, the difference in, in that because maybe you just have dogs and cats and whatnot, a buck is a boy, a buck specifically is an unneutered boy in the goat world. An unneutered boy is a buck and a neutered boy is called a weather. And all the girls are does, which is the same as what you would call deer, which are very closely related to the goat. In fact, having a goat is pretty close to having a pet deer. I think they're genetically a lot closer to deer than they are to sheep. And there's such misunderstanding in that of people thinking they're going to get themselves some goats to eat the grass and not realizing that goats much, much prefer stripping vegetation than they do eating grass. They will eat some grass, but they're going to go for your rose bushes and your plants and peeling the bark off of your trees and knocking the branches off of your trees and eating the leaves before they're going to go for your grass, or at least in addition to. So again, keeping in mind they have this uh, very deer-like nature I also had, I saw someone post something uh, in regards to thinking, thinking, I loved this. I thought this was adorable and I'll get back to the pet goat uh, buck issue, but I thought this was just absolutely adorable. Someone had posted thinking that their goat, they were a first time goat owner. So of course, keep that in mind that their goat had some kind of a genetic defect because as they could see, their goat did not have upper front teeth and they were worried that something was wrong with their goat. I had to giggle having goats and knowing goats and as anybody would um, have to giggle on that one thinking that was just absolutely adorable that they thought that the goat had a genetic defect for not having upper front teeth. (laughs) When we in the goat world know that no goat has upper front teeth. um, So is, is it genetic? Yes, it is genetic. Is it a defect? No. This is due to them stripping and foraging the way that they do of, and when I say stripping, I I don't mean anything um, salacious by that. I mean that they strip trees, they strip leaves from the trees, they strip bark off of the trees. And what they do is uh, not having those upper front teeth helps them elongate their tongue to reach up, grab those, those leaves on those branches, pull them down into their mouth and eat those. And if you imagine, if you did not have upper front teeth, and maybe some of my listeners don't, and you can call in and let me know if this would help you uh, stick your tongue out farther to pull leaves off of branches. Um, or maybe I don't want to know that. You know what? You can you could probably just keep that to yourself. I wouldn't want you to uh, have to admit that. So um, having said all that, and I'm going to remind the listeners that the call-in number is 425-373-5527. And the other number is 888-298-5569. 
So back to our little goat question and, um, you know, if you're kind of sensitive to things that are a little bit icky, or I I am cognizant of the fact that this is the lunch hour, um, you might want to put your fingers in your ears for about five seconds on this one of uh, the question, why is her buck goat stinky? And um, some people might not want to know. If you are interested in knowing, go ahead and continue listening. Uh, but this can get a little yucky. Uh, you know what? When you deal with animals... Sometimes you just got to get down and dirty and we're going to go there. We're going to get real down and dirty (laughs) for a second. So why does her buck suddenly stink when he didn't stink before? Well, there's a season, uh, often it's between June, July sometime and throughout the month of uh, September that Animals like these, uh, particularly goats, uh, really hardcore, go into what is called rut. Uh, Some of you may have heard of that, especially if you're hunters. You know that deer go into rut, moose, elk, all of these animals go into what is called rut. And that is kind of the breeding season for these guys. And what boy goats will do... And this is so much fun and, and yucky. And my little boy goat is, is doing this too. He used to be so clean, so sweet, so beautiful, and uh, so fluffy and white and gorgeous. And now he's this icky, sticky, greasy, tainted little beast that is rubbing his horns on everything and um, getting really excited when I come to pet him and, and scratch his little face like I always would, where now he jumps up on the side of the fence to, you know, almost want to give me a hug and love on me and get his little face scratched. But now he's urinating. <laughs> now he's urinating and, and he can do that standing up and aiming it at things that he wants to aim that at. Uh, again, buckle buckle in for this one. And he, he was able to urinate all over my, my pant legs, my shoes. And this time of year, when these little, little guys are in rut, it's real stinky. It stinks so bad, so, so bad. So there's a lot of fat that is in urine, and that is to affect uh, sticking and marking and smelling things up. So it's especially nasty during rutting season. And... Um, what little boy goats will do that makes them so icky during this time of the year is they will actually pee on their own face. And yeah, they can do that. If you watch them, they can stick their little head down next to themselves between their front legs and they will pee on their face. And then they will rub their face all over themselves, all over their coat to get that wonderful disgusting, filthy smell stuck to their fur and grease themselves up and just turn into the nastiest, most grody little things where, man, you can just catch that in the wind right when you walk out the door. It's it, it's on everything. I had somebody come visit my farm about a week ago and they're like, what is that smell? And I introduced them to Bo, my little buck, um, Nigerian dwarf goat that I have and uh, said, you know, it's him. Yeah, it's him. It's all him. It's, it's always him. It's, uh, you know, but that's not going to go on forever. They, they do kind of tone down a little bit off season. And um, during that time, I imagine towards the end of September, I'm, I'm considering 
there's my horse whinnying in the background there. I'm considering being really super obnoxious and possibly taking him into a dog groomer because he's a little guy. He only weighs about 60 pounds. That's actually kind of big for some small goats, but you know, he's a little guy. My doe weighs about 130, 140, something like that. So, and, and I was able to breed those two together and that was no, um, no small feat. I had to get him up on a ramp and I won't, I won't get into all of it, but I think he's developed some kind of uh, interesting, bizarre fetish. Whenever he sees her tied up, he thinks it's time to breed. And uh, I don't even know what to think about that or where to take that. I just think it's a little weird, but he was okay with my intervening to make that happen because he was just too short to be able to get the deed done. So a ramp had to be involved. And, um, my interaction was required <laughs> to make this happen. But, you know, even at that point, he didn't stink. So what you got going on with, you know, to my friend who has the smelly buck, what's happening is he's peeing on his face and he's rubbing his face all over his coat and making it greasy and stinky because uh, every doe on the planet then is going to be able to go outside and take a sniff and say, ooh, there's some hot dude that's uh, ready to rumble and I think he's over this way because I can smell him. And that's why they do that. They do that to get that attention. It's kind of like marking, scent marking, but they're doing it to themselves. So you know where to go to find that boy if you're looking to have uh, little kids. So that's that's the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> kind of gross, kind of disgusting. And I, I am thinking about taking mine to a dog groomer at the end of this and saying, can you shampoo him down and make him nice again uh, going into the winter so I don't have to smell that? Because I'm not okay with that. He used to be so fluffy and pretty and and not stinky. And I'm, I'm done with the stink. I'm over it. I walk out my back door and all I smell is nasty goat. So <laughs> I'm sure we've heard enough of that. And uh, you know, it's just part of life, the breeding season, the cycle of life, the circle of life and all of that. So because of all that, though, I do have these adorable two little baby does that he was able to produce with my doe. I lucked out and got two little girls, which is what everybody wants with goats. These are my future milk goats. And I wanted my doe to be back in milk again. I had kept her in milk for a whopping three solid years, which is really a long time to keep a doe in milk. That's having that dedication of going out there every single day and milking your goat every single day to keep them in milk so that they don't dry up. And I did that even while I was under evacuation for a couple of few weeks uh, during the fires that were going on down at, um, in Paradise when we had the campfire, that big one, which now this other fire that's burning down there, I've been following the Dixie Fire because I still have friends who live down in that area. And the Dixie Fire just surpassed 700,000 acres last night. I can't even imagine what is going on with the wildlife in the area, how much forest has been lost, how much devastation is going on. The little town of Greenville, the downtown area was completely decimated by this fire. I'm just sending prayers out to everyone who's affected, the animals that are having to endure this, the firefighters who are out there fighting this and putting their lives at risk. God bless them and praying that, um, they can get this contained. It's only at something like 30 something percent containment. 
with no estimation of when they may have this under control. Um, this fire seems like a racehorse that's rushing into first place. I've watched it when it was the fifth largest fire moving to the fourth, the third. It is now in second position of the second largest fire in the state of California has ever had in history. And I, I this thing has a life of its own uh, where it, it, it's almost like it's trying to win a race and get itself into first position. I don't know how many more acres that would take to accomplish I just know that this fire is, um, it's, it's so awful. It is so awful. And I, I do have um, a background with understanding how that affects wildlife, having come back from that fire and living in a disaster zone and seeing the effects of that where we had mountain lions that would be walking down the street looking for an easy meal at 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, the predation times and manners would change because they're desperate for food. There were deer that were starving. We were trying to uh, help them make it through the winter and um, just get through this. And you're, you're seeing animals that were actually just skin and bones going into the winter when they should have had a good layer of fat on them heading into that. So I was informing people how to deal with that. I know that can be kind of a, a dicey thing to get into because people will tell you not to feed wildlife. And there's lots of good reasons not to feed wildlife. I absolutely support that. However, when you have a catastrophe like this, that was obviously not planned and no one saw it coming, including the animals, I think it's okay to give nature a hand and I was teaching people how to leave food out like corn, uh, which is real fatty and you know good for putting on weight with some animals uh, like deer, how to do that without getting them to be dependent on you. So if you are in a fire area like that and you've come back and you're seeing animals like the deer starving and having um, a hard time managing in their new environment that has been completely torn away from them now, I'm going to go ahead and put my neck out uh, and say, you, you know, you can offer them things like dried corn, but what you want to do is you don't want to put that real close to your home. You want to go out as far as you can into the woods and place that in a, in a pile, say behind a, a tree somewhere. And what you want to do is never do it in the same place twice. So you, you don't want to have them develop this dependence on thinking that I can come here every day at such and such a time and I'm going to find a pile of corn. And now they uh, start depending on that instead of foraging. What you can do is pick a different location every day, do it at a different time, make those locations spread out as far as you can spread them out and um, start skipping days. So they're isn't this dependency and they're still having to hunt, seek, forage and, and look for that food. And that's a good thing. You know, that way they're, they're still, uh, they're, they're not getting to a point of being dependent on knowing that they can arrive at one spot in the day and, and, and expect that pile of corn there then. And at that time, I want to go ahead and remind our callers again that the number to call in is 
373-5527. We can also be reached at 888-298-5569. And hopefully we get some callers today. I, I did have people who wrote me things and wanted answers that maybe can watch back and listen back to the show later. And that would be fantastic. Uh, until then, we'll go ahead and continue answering some questions. Let's see. I had somebody one time, and I can get into this for quite a while here, um, who had asked me in regarding to horse training. So here's another livestock one going on. Why is it uh, that they were trying to get their horse to walk through a puddle of water? And while they were trying to get their horse to walk through a puddle of water, they're noticing that the horse is not listening and the horse is trying to go around and side past the puddle of water. Well, there's so many things that I can say in regards to that. For one, horses being a prey animal with their eyes on the sides of their heads do not have the greatest depth perception. So when you're looking at something like a body of still water, it's really difficult for them to judge the depth of that water. A horse really doesn't know if they're going to take a step into this and fall up to their neck or up to their ankle. So there's that. But also in the training uh, aspect of that, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're working with an animal that is a herd animal. And that is a game of follow the leader. Herd animals know to watch and be led by example. So what I would notice with people who are trying to train horses to walk through a puddle of water, sometimes what we see is the person sidestepping the puddle of water and expecting the horse to walk right through it because you're pushing them off to your side into the water that you don't want to walk through. So first off, you have the animal having compromised depth perception, and now they're watching what you're doing, and they're wanting to follow suit because, again, this is a herd animal. So they're wanting to walk around the puddle following you. And what they're seeing is you're basically communicating to them with your body language, follow me walk around the puddle. Don't walk through this water. So you're going to have to get on your best muck boots and stomp through that water yourself. For one, you want to break up the stillness of the water so they um, horses just have a little bit of easier time with something that's not reflective back on them of uh, stepping into it. So you're breaking up that that smooth surface. And also you're showing them, number one, hey, this is what I want you to do. If you watched a herd of horses running through something and there was a body of water and you see all the horses run around that body of water, all the horses are running around the body of water. If the first horse in line is side-passing that and running around the body of water, all of them follow that because they're going to view that body of water as possibly a hazard or or they're just going with their instinct of following who's in charge, um, who's the alpha leader of this herd is going around the water. So therefore we all should follow suit and do that. So they're, they're really, what they're doing is, is this, is this their instincts? They're following their instincts by walking around the water with you. So you're going to have to get your boots on and go right through the water with them. And I've more than once seen a horse that was really 
putting up a, a struggle suddenly just completely change their mind and say, oh, okay, this is cool. We're just walking right through the water now. And then it was no problem. So it's something to keep in mind with anything that you're doing with an animal. When you're expecting them to do something that you're not doing, they're kind of wondering why you're not doing it. And I'm supposed to listen to you. I'm supposed to follow you. So here I am listening to you and following you. And you're walking around the puddle. Now, that doesn't mean if you have a dog that you want to have jump through a hoop, you should jump through a hoop first. Um, I would recommend enticing them with a treat. Then again, a dog is a little bit more independent thinking than horses and other herd animals tend to be. And again, that's out of necessity for them. If you watch animals, especially prey animals that live in herds, they don't ask questions. If everybody's running to the left, there's probably a pretty good reason why everybody's running to the left. And if you stop in the middle of that and say, why are we all running to the left? Uh, you're probably going to end up being trampled in a stampede. So having having said that, that's, that's where we're at with um, animal training. And again, I'm hearing my horse here on my farm probably wondering where in the heck I am with his his afternoon grain. So when working with livestock, animals, uh, horses, goats, and all that, um, you're going to get your, your stinky goats. Stallions don't tend to do that. Stallions are just kind of badasses on their own without having to roll around in their own urine. They're good. But... Um, Goats just have a different way of being where they do like to get stinky. So there's today's lesson on horses and goats, and that can uh, go on and on forever. Again, goats are also the same as far as uh, not liking the do as I say, do as I do kind of a thing of following you, and, and they would rather learn by example, as do horses, whereas dogs you can pretty much entice with food and treats as well as cats to to do tricks and to do different things. It's just a completely different beast, isn't it? Uh, I guess another thing I could talk about, but first I'll go ahead and give our call numbers once again. And that is 425-373-5527. And the other line is 888-298- Five five six nine. So, as we're going into what time is it now? We're getting into the mid noon hour. I can talk a little bit more about dogs and dog behavior. One of the things people like to say is you can't teach an old dog new tricks, and um, how that can apply actually through lots of animals, including horses. Um, oh, I'm seeing that we have somebody who has joined us. Yeah, yeah, bring him in. Bring him in. Even if he's just audio, who have we got? What's going on? What's your problem? Hello? Hello? Yes, hi. Hi, how are you today? Yeah. Okay, I. But this is Saul. I had a problem. I tried to teach my horses how to run around the barn and I tried to teach them running around the puddle the way you're saying and they took they didn't take very kindly to me trying to teach them that and I guess the lead horse the alpha if you want to say 
I was trying to be the alpha and teach them how to go around the puddle. Unfortunately, he, he, he didn't like it. And he stomped me silly in front of all the other horsies. Did he? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, and it was, he, it was very, very traumatic experience because here I'm trying to be helpful and I'm showing them how to run abruptly around the puddle. And 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 I had my track shoes on so I could run fast that day. And this one horse, he just he stomped me silly and I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, have you been listening to the to the whole show? I was talking earlier about how buck goats go into rut for a season. And so that they can be uh, seen, respected and smelled from a distance. They urinate on their own faces and then rub that all over their coats. Have you tried doing something like that so that you could gain more respect from the rest of the horses? Well, I don't know how good a horse would take to a stinky goat smell. Um, my goats, my goats do, they do stink from time to time. And one of my goats actually taught my dog how to go get up inside my piano. And it, it's, it's absurd behavior. And, um, so now I have a stinky dog. It pisses all over himself and he's in my piano half the time. And I don't understand this. I would suggest you get a cat instead, because if the cat gets stuck inside of your piano, you can call in a piano tuna. Is this Johnny Brennan of the Jerky Boys? <laughs> hey, what's going on, Carpathia? <laughs> I just, you. I just, I just, I just figured I'd, I'd, I'd break your chops today. I just, you know. Well, I love it when you break my chops. <laughs> Hey, thank you for joining us. So Johnny Brennan, uh, creator of the Jerky Boys, the infamous and famous and everything else Jerky Boys. What in the hell are you up to? Hey, uh, you know, it's funny. I, I listened. I was listening to the show and it's it's actually it's hilarious because I can pretty pretty much take any scenario that can come to mind and it, they all fit very nicely with my characters or I get, yeah, and that, you know, it's funny. That's probably why over all the years and all the decades, you know, my characters fit into these terrific situations because just something as simple as listening to you describe, you know, the herd mentality as one horse is a leader and all the others will follow around a puddle. Like I find that fascinating and I can instantly incorporate that into a very silly, absurd scenario in, in, in uh, a jerky boys routine. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, you've used horses in a sense in the past. I, one of my favorites was Willie, the jackass. Yeah, Willie the Jackass is a classic. <laughs> That's a classic. And funny enough, that that was uh, Howard Stern. That was always his uh, one of his favorite bits. Um, Willie the Jackass. I, what it was was I called an amusement park, and I had this idea for a new character in the park, and the new character would be Willie the Jackass, and mm -hmm. and I would it would be me in in a suit. 
a jackass suit. And I did never, I could never find anybody to fill the back end of the suit. So it would always be me dragging around the ass of the suit. <laughs> and you know, whenever I got, whenever I got thirsty, I told, I would tell the woman, I would say to the woman, I would say, listen, you know, I get a little high and dry in the suit. We can send a few kids out for a couple of six packs and I could, you know, I, I could take care of my thirst. And she, she kept telling me that we cannot have unlawful characters in the park. We only have to have licensed characters in the park. And that goes back quite some time. That was a, that was a classic, but it's another example of how just, and actually there's a few calls um, where I believe Saul Rosenberg too, he was famous for having uh, a horse that literally kicked him senseless in the barn. Yeah. Um, oh, I remember it, the birds. The birds were swooping. Yes, they were yes, swooping. The crows. <laughs> yes, the crows. We, you know, which is which is it's funny enough that that happens to be in real life. They they happen to be my favorite bird, crows. crows. Yeah. And I always I always thought crows were super intelligent, spectacular. And yeah. I just thought it would be hilarious that, you know, out of the blue for whatever reason. You know, Saul had an issue with crows and they would always attack his horses in the barn and his horsey. And 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 that became one of the all time classics as well. So this is what I'm saying. It, it, it They're as absurd as they can be. They also fit into whether it be farm life or city life or, you know, pretty much anything. But it's great, though, to hear a show like yours where people can, you know, learn you know, so much. And it is so informative uh, on different levels, you know, because Thank there you. are so many questions, you know, when people do have pets and especially on farms and things, there's so much to really know, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, what's funny, I, I get a lot of people, especially around where I live in the country that will get real huffy, puffy about you know, being educated in animal behavior, they they have this thing immediately like, well, you know, they're not going to teach you in college about this, 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 and this that you learn in practical application of of being there and and growing up with the animals. And I I always I agree with them that it's a two part thing. You if you have the experience hands on of dealing with animals your whole life and you have the education, it's a twofold thing of You've been there, done that, seen it, and you understand that these things um, work that way. But then also having the education unlocks the door to so much more of understanding why. And when you really understand the the whys and you understand the genetics and the biology and everything of the animals, um, it, it puts the whole thing together. It's like pieces of the puzzle that are now all coming together. So I respect both sides of that, people who have the practical experience, which I, I also do. I've had a farm and raised animals my whole life. And the education that really unlocks so much of understanding the whys of, of why things behave the way that they do. And having all that, that studying and researching and knowing how to conduct research is super fun. And, and then I, you know, I mean, I love the entertainment aspect of everything too. Gosh, animals bring so much to the plate as far as us being able to clown around and have a good time. And you're right. Most amusement parks do only allow their own licensed characters. I, I realized that with Disney. Disneyland doesn't allow magicians to go around doing magic tricks or employing people that are magicians because it competes with, um, I guess they said, Mickey Mouse's sorcerer. And they don't want that. So I, I was a performing magician at one time and someone was telling me that, you know, Disneyland won't hire magicians. 
So right. I, I think that's right. funny. So you, yeah, you can't bring in really the jackass, which is really, really sad. And if, if you know what I envision of somebody dragging around the back end of a jackass costume, wouldn't it be fun if you put it in one of those makeshift things that's like a like those little doggy wheelchairs you know what i'm talking about well they- actually it's funny that you mentioned that because on um i actually did a um an interactive uh a, do you remember obviously it's it's crazy that i'm even having to say this but do you remember cd rom drives you know in the computers I remember hearing about CD-ROM drives. Yes. Yeah, CD-ROM <laughs> drives. You could put it was almost like an interactive type thing. So I did that. I believe it was for Jerky Boys four or I don't even remember which record, but it was an interactive where I actually had Willie the Jackass and he did. He had a wheelchair where <laughs> it, it would, you know, you, you know how that you know how that works. Like yeah. the 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 uh, the donkey or the horse or the dog, they have this little wheelchair. And I remember it goes back to when I was a little boy living in Astoria, Queens. I was in, uh, I lived on Crescent Street in Astoria. And I'll never forget right up the block, uh, at the time I was about 11, 11 or 12. And right up the block from me was a woman who had a, I, I don't know if it was a little Yorkshire Terrier, it was a small, tiny little dog. But he was crippled. His back legs were crippled. So he had this little wagon. And I thought it was not to be, uh, you know, I thought it was the most hysterical thing I'd ever seen. I was only 12 years old. But by the same token, how practical, because now this little dog didn't really give a, you know, didn't give a crap about the fact that he had no back legs. He was good to go, you know. Thank you for filtering the S word. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, a- after all these years, I, 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 I'm thinking to myself, you know, whoops, you know, I got to. But no, it, but no, it's it's kind of funny thinking back and, and, and all the way from a horse to a tiny little Yorkshire Terrier, you know, the little wagon that the horses can or they can get into and they can, you know, pull themselves along. But, um, you know, it is I always did find it fascinating You know, you look at doctors, right? And doctors cover, you know, pretty much one base. You know, they cover, you know, male, female. But for the most part, you know, you know, it's it's pretty much, you know, you know, you know, the same type deal. Obviously, the women and men are very different, uh, you know, physically. But but still, it's I always found it fascinating a person that, and I know firsthand, my brother dated, uh, you know, this girl who, you know, many, many moons ago, I watched her. And now today she is, you know, she's a very prominent uh, veterinarian in upstate New York. But I remember her hours and hours and hours of just endless nonstop study. And what goes into that, as opposed to you know, just a doctor for people. It's just extraordinary. Just imagine every single thing that you need to know about every other creature that lives. Yeah. And and it's absolutely. And like, I, I agree with what you're saying because it's one thing to come up. Just imagine the old days, uh, back, you know, you know, maybe in the, uh, the turn of the century or back, you know, when there were, you know, no automobiles or it might have just been a horse and carriage. And, you know, you grew up on a farm when you grew up on a farm as a kid, 
there you had to know you know you just imagine like today education is phenomenal and it's just one thing but there's no substitute for taking these educated uh youngsters or people today and then bringing them into a situation where everything is hands-on along with the education absolutely it's it's like i say it's such a twofold thing and and you're right with uh, you know, say doctors versus veterinarians and having to know how to treat all these different animals and different species, um, what you need to do. An example of that would be there are birds that you would treat with tetracycline instead of um, penicillin. You know, the, most birds you don't get penicillin to. So, I mean, you need to know that. You need to know, and again, I'm not a veterinarian. There's just things that I know from hands-on experience being an animal owner, handler my whole life. Um, something that a lot of people don't know would be with rabbits. You cannot give rabbits an oral antibiotic. It, it can kill them. It flushes everything out of their system because they have so much flora in their digestive tract that it can kill them to take an oral antibiotic. So you need to right. give them an intermuscular antibiotic to treat them. So the, all the little nuances of things that you need to know being a veterinarian versus um, a medical doctor, not to diminish medical doctors' expertise and whatnot, because then you also have people that are experts in certain things like neurosurgeons and whatnot that are like, right. oh, all, all hail the neurosurgeons, my God. But um, yeah, I'm with veterinarians that it's, <laughs> you, you have to know how to treat all these different animals. And I, my preference, I, I prefer working with large animal vets. I just see them as being more down to earth and I'm going to, I'm going to show my farm side saying this real quick. I know this is going to sound terrible, but I know there's a lot of people that are going to agree with me on this. You go to small animal vets and, and people are like, why is it, why is it like a thousand dollars to have my dog's teeth cleaned? And they, and they do all this and that, and it's this big deal. And then I, I'm like, you know, Hey, I call up my vet for my horse. She comes out to my house, does a farm call and gets out power tools and all this to clean my horse's teeth under a um, mild anesthesia and does this for like a couple hundred bucks. And she's also cleaning my horse's sheath and giving him all of his, his uh, vaccinations and stuff. And my, my joke is, because there is some truth to this, you know, small animal veterinarians will charge you a fortune for something. I, I, I can't, I'm not going to say why or that they're preying on people just loving their small animals like it's their kids. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say that. Okay. You understand? <laughs> but um, what I am saying is large animal vets, they come out to your house and they know they're not going to sit there and tell you it's going to cost you a thousand dollars to save your goat or your sheep because I wouldn't do this personally because I, I love on my goats and all my animals are, I don't eat any of my animals. Um, I do drink their milk and eat their eggs. Uh, I just don't have it in me. I'm not shaming anybody or putting anybody down for raising their own animals for meat because I, I will say that I, I do get meat from some people who do that. I just couldn't do it myself. But your average farmer is going to look at a vet and say, you know what, if this is going to cost more than 500 bucks to fix my sheep, I'm just going to have tacos. You know, I'm just going to butcher the animal, put it in the freezer and have tacos for the winter. And, and you know, you just don't do that. If you can't get it done for a reasonable price. So they, they tend to be a little bit more down to earth with their pricing and what they do. And this is doing farm calls. They come to your home, they, and they have to know how to treat every single animal. Like you say, it's, it's amazing, but do you have any pets? 
Yes, I do. Um, as a matter of fact, I have two two dogs. Um, and it's funny that this all this all comes up um, because I had an incident with um, we have uh, I had to adopt a uh, a uh, a Pomeranian, which is something that I never, ever, ever saw in my future. Or <laughs> and I've you know, because I've always, you know, coming up through the years, I've had Rottweilers and pit bulls and Obviously, my Rottweiler became very famous over 30 years that ago. That was the piano one. Yeah, that one the, was a Rottweiler the, yes. stuck in the piano. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and he was, he you, was a. You yeah, defined was, my childhood. Go on. Yeah, yeah no, no, no. I, I don't mean to interrupt. You know, but that a lot of my, uh, you know, my uh, classic uh, skits and, and things that went on to sell multi platinum records are situations with animals and and i'm always glad to look back because i have such fond memories and my rottweiler made it onto um onto a jerky boys record many moons ago but uh you know it's funny that you're talking <laughs> about this i had this incident uh i'd say yeah, it's got to be close to two months now and this little uh she's a she's a uh, it's called a russian blue pomeranian so her color is charcoal so she looks and when you see this dog it's the most adorable thing you've ever seen she looks like a little bear cub so she Aww. literally looks like a bear like <laughs> and no matter what angle you look at her from she looks like she's a little bear cub so anyway, she got a hold of something. We don't know what it was. We don't even have a clue what she might have gotten into. But she went from being this and she's old. She's 14, but she acts like she's two. So her behavior became very suspect. And next thing you know, she's laying down. She's not responding. And she literally started to look like she was dying. So it was like you said, it was rushed to the vets and blah, 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 blah. And and. You know, they know how much and I'm not going to look. These people work hard and this is this is an emergency vet. They're open all night like an emergency room. And the next day we had to take her to our vet. I was talking about earlier who I've known for many, many years. She was uh, my brother's girlfriend years ago. And so but she wasn't open and it was in the middle of the night. So we had to go and do what we had to do. But you're talking many thousands of dollars later. Oh, yeah. And, and and this is and and but and I can tell you firsthand, this is going back just a couple of months ago, maybe not even that far. And I didn't care. I didn't care what it took if it was yeah. another 500 or another 700 or or another thousand. I couldn't imagine. I just I, I my heart was breaking. This poor little thing wasn't responding. And and oh. these vet these veterinarians Man, they're the cat's pajamas. You know, after a day or so, the dog started coming back and responding. And that's it didn't matter to me the money that was spent. What mattered was that we, we had her back. And yeah. and that's why, like I say, what you I just listened to you now. What, there's no way that I could raise animals on a farm that I raise and, and I'm going to use them as food. So that that also that's that's not in me as well. Um, I knew very early on, I'd say probably around 13 or 14 with the whole hunting thing that started. And I had zero interest in that. Um, you know, when I was a little kid running around with, uh, you know, my fifth birthday, people, you tell people this today and, and people look at you, you're like, you're crazy. On my fifth birthday, my uncle bought me a Winchester. My godfather bought me a Winchester 22 rifle. 
for my fifth birthday present. But, that, but that's not uncommon, you know, back in the day, you know, that was like the Andy Griffith show, you know, you got a, you know, you got a 22 rifle and you, so back in when I was a kid, you know, you were pretty much hunting and little squirrels and things like that. But then you hit a certain age and you just, you know, you, you say to yourself, I have no interest in this man. So, uh, you know, I have friends that hunt and, you know, uh, you know, I'll take the deer meat and things like this. And I'm not, I'm not tremendously big on venison, but I know it's very good for you. But uh, I don't ever poo-poo or put down people that fill their own freezers. I wouldn't do that. But for me, it's just it's just not something I have any interest in doing. It's not my cup of tea. I agree with you 110 percent. You know, I I live in an area where a lot of people hunt the elk that are local here. I I often get the whole herd going through my front yard and down my driveway. Sometimes there's days I have to wait to get to the road by waiting for the whole herd of elk to go through. Um, And some people that I know hunt them. I've tried elk, you know, from the herd here. I made a pot roast out of one. I mean, it was like the best meat I've ever had in my life. It's so much better than venison. I'll have to say. Yeah, elk. I've had elk. elk. It's good. Yeah, yeah. very, very good. It's delicious. But yeah, I couldn't do it myself. And, you know, kind of similarly, when I was a little kid, I had a, we lived on a farm. I wanted to be an Indian when I was a little girl. I I wanted to be an Indian and I was doing all these things myself. I had my pony. I made a bow and arrow. I'm I'm sure it sucked, but you know, I was like eight and I thought it was probably like a functional bow and arrow because I was eight. And I, I remember hunting around the yard and thinking if I could kill a squirrel, I could use the fur for, um, you know, for my clothes or something. Right. And I get a squirrel in my sights and I was going to pull my little defunct bow and arrow thinking it was going to work. And then I just started laughing at myself like, yeah, right. You couldn't kill something. (laughs) I used to to take the squirrels that my cat would get and I would put them in a cage and go under this huge pomegranate bush that was like a cave. So my mom wouldn't see what I was doing and um, nurse them back to health because my mom would have killed me thinking I was going to get rabies or something. So yeah, I've, I've never killed anything in my life and it's not something that I, I could do, but I don't, I don't, um, I, I don't look down on people who do that. And in fact, I think, you know, in a lot of ways they're badasses because they're, they're doing that. And I have a real quick, funny story. My, my dad, when we had my farm as a kid, my dad was a, a famous, um, athlete. We, um, we had this really fun moment. Well, it's not really fun where he wanted to raise duck to butcher to eat duck all orange and he had these two ducks he couldn't kill them himself he gave them to this kid down the street to butcher because he wanted to live off the land he wanted to eat roast duck he gets these two ducks back that he raised that the kid down the road butchered he opened them up they were wrapped in tin foil my dad who's six foot four heavyweight wrestling champion 240 pounds of muscle opens up the tin foil looks at the little dead ducks in there and he cried and he buried them in the backyard. And that's when our farm turned into like this uh, bird sanctuary, basically. So, yeah, see, you see, but still, like, I, I've seen pictures of your dad, and he was a, he was a monster that he was tremendous. The guy was huge. Yep. See, but that just goes to show you what that how certain people tick and and that's just to, to me, that's a wonderful story because it's like a gentle giant. Yeah, and, totally. and, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. And and um, like I said, when I was a little kid, I was doing the whole Davy Crockett thing, you know, <laughs> with, you know, with the whole skin and tans and uh, hides. And I was doing the raccoon hats and, you know, yeah. but this is you're going 
you're going back, you know, early mid sixties and, uh, you know, just a little kid. And then, and then out of, just out of the blue, I was just, you know, I was just like, man, I don't, I don't want, I couldn't hurt a fly. So, and in my adult life now I could be in the house and I, I don't want to spiders and things like that. I try to catch them in a cup and I try to get them outside. It's just, I have zero, you know, zero interest in, in hurting or killing anything. It's just, and it's funny if people, if people listen to me, you know, they think, Oh my God, this is Frank Rizzo. Johnny, 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 we got to wrap up. We're, we're heading into the end of this. And so we got to wrap it up, but Oh my gosh, thank you so much for calling in and giving me crap. Um, I love you, man. I love you. Love you. Love you. Hey, thank you for having me a Carpathian. I'll talk to you soon. And a big hello to all the fans. Yay. Thank you, Johnny Brennan from the Jerky Boys for joining us today. Um, Thank you. Thanks. Been a great show. And to all my lovely listeners, I bid you adieu. Farewell. Auf Wiedersehen. Au revoir. Dos vodanya. Und vijantla trajra. Until next week. Bye. 